0: hard cash, capital, investment. Oh, all words that kind of go over my head. But money, in general, nobody likes to talk about it. Except my next guest says that money is the result of value. And don't we all love good value? Join me and Andrew Stotts as we're making conversations about investment count. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, you know, I mentioned that Lloyd's Business Bank Award. Well, the prize was a mentor session with Stephen Bartlett. I'll tell you more about that later. We've also had a review from Nicole Harbour, who said, loved this podcast with you and Pete Can. You're a breath of fresh air. Everyone would benefit from yoga laughter and the champagne court memories are a great tradition. Thanks, Nicole. That was my celebration for 50, reaching 50. There's a big number I'd like to invest. Thanks for letting us know. I've got one question for you before yep. we start, no Andrew, problem. and yep. that is why the worst Where did the worst come
1: from in your name? It came from a guest that I had, Chris Reed, and he's kind of a marketing specialist guy. And he is the only CEO in the world with a pink mohawk. And it made me think, yes, pink, made me think like, what's my pink mohawk? And I've had a lot of discussion with my team and thought about, you know, my, my LinkedIn used to be pretty complicated. Like I do this, I do that. I can do this and we do that. And, you know, we do a lot of things and we have a lot of different parts of our business. But I realized that, you know, when you say all that, nothing comes across. So I decided my podcast is my most unique thing that people are like, huh, what? And therefore I decided to double down on the worst. So I'm the worst podcast host of my worst investment ever. And what I can say is that, you know, I get emails from people asking me this question, and if I told you I was the best or I was just a podcast host, you wouldn't have asked this question. So, from a marketing perspective, it's awesome.
0: It also links quite nicely to your surname when you know it's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and the point is is that uh, you got to make a difference out there. You got to come across in a way that you know people remember and people remember this. And I'm a pretty smart guy. So I know nobody's going to think what an idiot or yeah, he is the worst, you know. So I know anybody listening will know that it's just kind of a play on words. So
0: they get the irony,
1: the irony. That's there's a good word.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because clearly you are a smart guy. You do run a podcast. I've been lucky enough to be a guest, Mm. but it was just kind of one of those questions that people always say to me, what does WAG stand for? You know, are you a footballer's wife? I'm like. No, it's just as my initials that I was given at birth. So sometimes it can be the simplest of things that can trigger a conversation, which is great, isn't it?
1: That's what you're the master at, so I appreciate (laughs) that.
0: Your specialty in life is all around finance Finance. and investment and equity, and and it's
1: all around value. Uh huh. So basically, I help people create grow, measure, and protect value. And all of that comes through finance, you know, a lens of finance. But I I like to talk about value.
0: That's got to be really important, Andrew, because being a Brit, we don't like talking about money, Mm. right? We don't like to admit that we've made mistakes or that we don't understand anything. We don't want to let on that we don't understand even. And it's just purely through the education things. But we all like value for money.
1: Yep. Don't we? Yep. And if you come in and say profit, 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 that's a turnoff. What I know is I know what value is. And, you know, I know how to calculate it. I know how to increase it. I know how to protect
0: it. So, who do you help most? What is there a typical kind of I don't like the word client habitat, but are there a typical set of people that you like helping most?
1: So let's say when it comes to creating wealth, I help companies make their companies financially world class. When it comes to growing wealth, I help individuals to invest in a safe, simple way. When it comes to measuring wealth, I help young people build careers in the area of valuation and understanding how to calculate value. And when it comes to protecting wealth, it's the podcast in my community service to do the podcast to bring out how we can protect our wealth. So I would explain it like that.
0: And sometimes just being able to break it down into its simplest form means that we can immediately say, ah, that's the bit that I need help with.
1: Yep. With companies, you know, I find out that sometimes they just have a, a total accounting mess. And we come in and fix it. Sometimes they got their accountings good, but they just aren't financially strong. Then we help them with that. And we do that through my courses. We use the courses as a stepping stone. And then for those that want to go to the next level, then we do advising. And we do something called outsource CFO also. So companies that are growing and they need CFO services, we provide that.
0: For me, I think when it comes to handling other people's money, and I've done that myself in the past for uh, a retired millionaire a a long, long time ago, and uh, the biggest compliment he could pay me was that he started to get me to buy and research all of the resources that he needed for his company, because he said, Wendy, I don't know anybody that spends my money better, (laughs) because you always find the best deal. And that comes with trust, doesn't it? And and that can only come through conversation in my mind that that you can be honest about something. So the conversations that you have with some of these big companies must get into some real nitty gritty of cutting through some of the, the barriers that people put up. How do you handle that, Andrew?
1: Let's say there's a sense of urgency when I come into a company to help them. And the urgency is usually that they're losing money or they're out of control in their accounting or finance, or that they really want to get somewhere and make their business seriously profitable. So basically, I mean, having been in corporate environment for many years, I know how to exist in that, but I just don't care anymore about that. When I come in, the reason why I come in is because something is dysfunctional. And basically I expose it and I'm not mean about it or anything, but the reality is, is that if you want to solve the problem, you're gonna find the problem when you hire an outside person who's gonna dig into your company. And you know, the truth comes out in the cash, the truth comes out in the financials. You know, you can talk all day long about how great you are and your great team and you're this and that, but it has to be reflected in the financials. Ultimately, or else you're not going to survive in the long run.
0: Are there some fairly consistently made mistakes that you see going from company to company?
1: The first thing is that, unfortunately, people just don't get along. And they're on management teams. And the CEO either hires the wrong person or doesn't fire the person that they should. or doesn't build the environment of communication and cooperation between leaders. And then, you know, sometimes a common theme is that companies go crazy about uh, incentivizing through KPIs and things like that. And when you incentivize people, you have to understand that there's a cost. And when you're building a, a company that must somehow cooperate between all the different departments and divisions, if you do incentives like that, you immediately drive competition in your company, which I always tell them the competition is outside. Um, one of the big common themes is that they're incentivized. They're doing all this stuff to incentivize people through all their different bonuses. What they're really doing is incentivizing people to fight against each other to get the, piece, the bigger piece of the pie. And, you know, you never get there.
0: Well, it's, it's not just within the individual teams, is it? That becomes a kind of imbalance between departments as well, because why do they get that when we do this? Without us, they they wouldn't work. And I've seen this, you know, within companies that into departments don't get along because they don't feel that they're treated equally and fair.
1: Yeah. You know, I was advising two different companies and I met with their management teams for two days to do training and talk to them and do my course finance made ridiculously simple and, and also how to make their company financially world-class where I benchmark them and teach them. And, you know, the, both CEOs were fun and they were nice and they were smart. They both management teams, the individuals on the team were excellent. You know, each of them were experts in marketing in their area, but one of them was losing money and one was doing tremendously well. And first you can obviously attribute that maybe to the industry that they're in or something. But if you take out that industry effect, the question i asked myself was like what's the difference and to me the difference comes down to you know nothing about remember that finance is just a result finance is not you know it is not a source of value it is just a measurement of value so then you have to think about like what is it and what i would say is that it's really a couple of things number one you got to have the right ceo if you have the wrong ceo you're never going to get there and You've got to have the right management team. However, the right management team isn't as critical is as the cooperation amongst the management team. So a good CEO can set a clear direction, but also demand cooperation between the different heads of the department so that when that nonsense comes up, well, they get this and we don't get that. Well, great. Bring it to that management meeting, go through it and work through it and come up with your conclusions. And then go back to your department and tell them, hey, don't waste your time, bad mouth and this or that. This is the reason why we've got to move forward. We're all one team. And if a leader can't do that, it just makes work miserable. Unless you've got a huge brand where, you know, one of my guests on the podcast said good companies die slowly. And it just made me realize like they got cash. Yeah, you can mess it up. You can have a lot of dysfunction and exist with that for." you know, three years, five years, 10 years, but eventually it's going to hurt you. Whereas a small company, you know, you just, if you, if you allow that kind of stuff to go on in a small company, you know, you, you'll go down really fast.
0: Yeah. You need to be a lot more agile, don't you, as a small company, you've kind of ducked and diving on a daily basis, aren't you? To make sure that you avoid pitfalls, that you're going in the right direction. I, I don't think... The journey of any company that's that's small is in a straight line. (laughs) There is no straight road (laughs) to to Rome, is there any For all of us. (laughs) I think what you've just pointed out there is that there's lots of C words, isn't there, that, that come into it. So communication, cooperation, but ultimately it's a culture because when you go to work, you're at work way longer than you are at home with your family. So if you don't enjoy that work environment, what's the point? That's sad. And,
1: you know, surveys of people show that most people are not happy with their work. And luckily for me, I've never had that problem because, and people always ask me, how are you so happy? And you've always been happy about your work and all that. I said, the way I did it is I quit. I quit a lot. When I found that I was unhappy, I could see it was clear. And then I walked away and said, I got to find something better something that suits me better, something that challenges me more. And at the age of 28, I found that, you know, job. And from that time as a financial analyst till today, you know, I've just loved that job. And every day I go in, you know, yeah, there's some things I don't like to do, but generally the job of a financial analyst is a job that teaches you how to think. And, you know, there's a lot of fear and panic in this world these days with COVID and all that. And somebody asked me about it and uh, they said, how do you feel? I said, I feel like I've trained for 30 years for this. I have been applying logic and reason. So i like to think of a formula as L R divided by F P logic and reason over fear and panic. And my goal is to apply logic and reason over that. Now, anybody can get caught up in panic, but not everybody can apply logic and reason. And so I enjoy that.
0: It's a good point that you make, Andrew, because there are times where you hear or read, somebody's got an opinion, and ultimately we've got to stay focused on what we can control. Another C word. I'm going to be counting up the C words yeah. at the end of this conversation.
1: <laughs> Cooperation.
0: Yes. And, uh, control.
1: Yeah. Control. What we can control.
0: Now, you've said that you wanted to find something better and pushed for something better. And that's something that there I really enjoy coming through as a theme to this series of conversations yep. that I have on the show is that there are always, there's always something you can do about something, but it usually happens that there's a conversation that you need to have that helps you work through so I think it's only right to invite you to share that conversation now, Andrew, that counted for you and what happened after. Let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything but what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on it's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block program just book a chin wag let's have a natter and let's see how i can help you
1: well, first of all, I want to thank you for asking me to share this story. You're going to be a little bit surprised about this story, and it may not fit the exact mold, but it is a oh, conversation. Good. I live with my mother. She's 83 years old, and she came. I brought her to Thailand when my father passed away, and we were they were living in North Carolina. And last night, Mom and I sat down, and I talked to her about what would she consider like the most critical conversations that happened in, in our lives and in our past and all that, And our conversation, you know, was all about this, talking to you. And it ended in tears. You know, we were just crying. And as mom said, how did we make it here? How do we make it here? As she was in tears. And I'm going to go back because a lot of what I've done in business goes back to a pivotal moment. And it was a moment of my youth and it was a conversation of my youth. My parents called the police and charged me with incorrigibility when I was 14. I smashed out a window in the house. I was high you know, on drugs at the time. I was growing up in Ohio and my father tried to get me to calm down and I had scissors in my hand and I stabbed my hand, my father in his hand. And it was just at that point, he went and called the police and I was put into a foster home for a couple of months and then eventually came back and they gave me a chance to go back home and try to get it right for my first year of university or high school at that time. And then I did okay, but then I started using drugs a lot and all that. And then finally, I had tried suicide a couple of times. Luckily, I wasn't successful with that. And I was in a lot of trouble and was pretty addicted to drugs, alcohol, and just my life was collapsing around me. I managed to go to my parents and ask them if I could go to drug rehab. I was just 16 years old, just turning 17. And I went into drug rehab and tried to get straight. And when I came out of drug rehab, Within four days, I was on my knees begging a friend of mine to get high and I got high and I was 17 by this time and I just ran away from home and I decided I'm going to live on my own. Luckily, my parents called the police and tried to find me and all that. It took a while. Eventually, they arrested me and then they brought me into a halfway house in Akron, Ohio. And basically, I was preparing myself for the conversation with my mom uh, and dad And basically what I said is, finally, I got my mom and dad, we got on the phone and I just said, I'm 17. I'm going to live my life on my own. I'm not going to high school. And, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And my mother in particular, but also my father said, you've got one last chance. We've booked a one-way ticket to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and you've got a chance to go to this treatment center that's one of the best in the country. And- Uh, It's a one way ticket, though. If you can't make it through there, then you're going to have to stay down there. And we want you to come home and we're going to send you to the bus station a couple of days from now. And then that's your chance. And that was the conversation. And my mom and I talked about it last night, you know, and just how tough it was and how, you know, knowing that it's very possible that I never come back. And the reason why that conversation is so critical in my life is that I went down to Louisiana and I went into the drug rehab and they basically said, you're going to be in evaluation for seven days. And at the end of seven days, we're going to decide if we're going to accept you or not. And I figured I'd already been through treatment before. I knew all the lingo and all that. So I thought this is going to be a cakewalk. But on day number six, they pulled me into a meeting and they said, we have bad news for you. You're not going to make it into treatment. And that basically meant I was out on the street tomorrow, the next day, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, with nothing. Your safety net had been pulled. All gone. And I went back to my room and I collapsed on the floor in my bathroom and just sobbed. And at that moment, it was September 15th, 1982. And at that moment, what I said was, you know, I can't do it. You know, I I can't figure this out. And I had to just let go and say... I don't have the answers anymore. I have to just let go. And that was a moment of of freedom. At the end of that day, I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and I talked to the counselors more. And eventually what they did is they said, we have decided to let you in. Now, I don't know if they were playing a a cruel joke on me or not, but it worked. And I went into drug rehab and I got sober there. And then after that, I came back to my parents' house and I went to a seven-month long-term treatment center. And basically that conversation that my mom didn't give up on me. And she decided that, you know, my mom and dad both basically said, you're going to get one more chance, but this is one way. And it was a tough conversation for them, you know, and I realized that that changed the complete trajectory of my life. I basically have now been sober for nearly 40 years and I've never drank anything or had any drugs since that moment in that bathroom on my knees, basically beaten down on oh, my knees, basically beaten down by my own behavior. When I graduated from the treatment center uh, at the age of 17 and soon to be 18, my parents said, Congratulations, you've done a great job. You're sober now. Go out and live your life. And they did tell me to go out and live on my own. And that was the beginning of really an amazing journey. I had a chance to reboot my life and I went on a journey of discovery and I ended up. Bizarrely in California. And then I ended up in Thailand. And I've had a lot of business success and a lot of business failure and a lot of ups and downs. But if I hadn't had that conversation with my mom and dad, if I'd run away from it, or if they said, you know, as they had every right to do, they'd spend everything that they had saved and everything to try to save me. And they had a right to just walk away, but they didn't. And it was that conversation that basically led me to be here today. And now, I'm with my mom for the last five years. I've been able to take care of my mom as she's you know, gotten older and needs support and needs help. And when I, my father passed away, I was able to just tell him, don't worry about mom, just let go. And that conversation changed the whole trajectory of my life. Now I have a lot of other events and a lot of other exciting things that happened in my life, but if it hadn't been for that conversation, I wouldn't be here on this show.
0: There's been suicidal tendencies in my family, so I know a little about it. And when you feel that there's nothing more left, attend a naive age of 17, it's a really sad show, isn't it? And what happened on day six to you there, Andrew, was almost like a a realisation that... It wouldn't be suicide as such. You would literally giving up on life.
1: It would just be miserable.
0: Yeah. The trick that they played on you was to make you realize that life was worth living.
1: Mm. Yep. And I think in those days, they had a saying, which was to raise the bottom, to let the person suffer the consequences of their actions. And the sooner they suffer that, the more chance that they feel the pain of that, and then they... Are willing to, to do something. And I've learned in my life that, yeah, pretty much, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, that you work with, you know, talk about getting on the phone, having conversations and all that. Sometimes it's having a baby. Sometimes it's running out of money, but it's, it's never like, Hey, I just feel great. And I think I'm going to do something really difficult today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. said nobody
1: ever <laughs> doesn't happen. So pain is yeah. a partner of growth.
0: Yeah, I do believe that you can't have growth without pain. That's got to be part of the lesson. And, well, humbled that you would share such an intimate story, but one that's really important, Andrew, for anybody listening to say, do you know what? It doesn't matter how bad you feel. Do you know what? There are people that you can talk to, and if you think it's bad, make sure it's really, really bad, and then life will be great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the thing too is that if you're a parent or significant other and somebody around you is struggling like I was, never give up. I mean, it doesn't mean that you got to enable them or, you know, protect them from suffering the pain of their decisions. But the point is never give up because they could have given up. There's just a moment where as a parent, you're like, I've had enough. And what I'm just saying is that, you know, my parents didn't, they didn't cross that line at that moment. And for some bizarre reason, it worked.
0: Say hello to your mom for
1: me. I will. Well, I was going to surprise you by bringing my mother on this call to also talk about her, but I think it would just be too much for her because we already went through it. And I was just talking to her a couple of minutes ago about coming on the show, but yeah.
0: No, thank her for being such a wonderful mom because she deserves to uh, to hear the impact that you make on people and by sharing that story. And I will invite everybody to pass their comments on and I'll make sure that you get those as well, Andrew, because uh, life isn't a bed of roses or a box of chocolates, is it? Yeah, we all have things that we have to deal with. And I'm just glad that your mom and dad didn't give up on you um, yeah. so that you can be doing the the important work that you're doing now to help people. Money makes the world go round.
1: You don't make money, you can't stay alive. And that's part of my work with companies. It's like, I mean, I understand everybody's got their idea, but if it's not funded by money that you're generating in your business, there's not a long-term possibility. And so it's critical. It is the blood supply of a business. Also, just to highlight for anybody that is experiencing problems with alcohol and drugs, you know, there's 12-step programs in every city, in every country, around the whole world. Reach out and ask someone. And if you can't find someone to reach out and ask, just reach out and ask me and I'll help.
0: Likewise, we're always at the end of the phone or the end of a message, an email. However you're comfortable reaching out, don't be on your own. Important message. Oh, Andrew, thank you so much for sharing that story. If people do want to carry on the conversation, where's the best place for them to do that?
1: So the best place to contact me is either through LinkedIn or just come to myworstinvestmentever.com. That's where I publish all of my episodes. Wendy was episode 408. I I can't believe that many. Yeah. And uh, there's just a contact thing on my website that send a message there. It comes directly to me.
0: All that's left to say is uh, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. My love to your mum. And we'll, we'll speak again soon. Right on. Andrew and I hope that you enjoyed listening to our conversation today. Do let us know if you're going to apply his special formula. We'd love to carry the conversations on here at Making Conversations Count. So don't forget to check out makingconversationscount.com for all the letters to listeners, free tips, advice, and offers there for you. Next time, I'm joined by Goldmine founder, the very nimble John Ferrara. There was no outlook. We
1: were the first program that integrated email, contact and calendar and sales and marketing for a team.